This movie is awesome. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. From the earliest days of film to the big-budget blockbusters and homegrown auteur films of modern cinema, Texas has a long history of both appearing on film and participating in the filmmaking industry. We're going to take a look at some of the best movies filmed in and about Texas, as well as the multitude of actors hailing from the Lone Star State. But first, who's your favorite Texan celebrity family? Uh, Well, there's only one family in Texas, and that is the Ewing family, both legitimate and illegitimate. (laughs) I guess I'll allow that. It's a a gimme, I guess. Yeah. Right now, I'm kind of partial to the Wilson brothers. Every time I see them on screen, I'm just delighted. Oh, are you? I am. Well, I am a lot like Quato in Total Recall, the original Arnold Schwarzenegger one. Because, yeah, the guy that comes out of the guy's belly. Uh Because I like Quaid. (laughs) Well, Mike, that is just dead solid perfect. Bing! Well, Texas has been a character in cinema since its early days. The first film shot and set in Texas may be The Immortal Alamo, a silent film from 1911, believed to be the earliest film version of the Alamo story. It was produced by Gaston Millier, brother of the early film legend Georges Millet, author of the seminal science fiction film A Trip to the Moon and subject of the movie Hugo. Sadly, the film is lost, and the only thing left of it is a few stills. Most of the films shot in Texas through the 1960s were westerns and historic films set in their intended locations. Early aviation movies, Wings and West Point of the Air, were filmed in San Antonio because it was a major center for military aviation during the interwar era. Many films set in Texas were filmed in Hollywood backlots or, in the case of John Ford's westerns, Arizona's Monument Valley portrayed the Texas frontier. In the 1970s, more and more productions were filmed in Texas and less of them were just westerns. Part of this was due to the breakup of the Hollywood studio system, which allowed films to be produced outside of the confines of the backlots. Soon films were being produced in Texas by independent filmmakers, as well as big Hollywood productions. In the 1990s, a new wave of indie filmmaking emerged from the alternative art scene in Austin. Over the years, Texas gained a reputation for being a third coast in filmmaking, alongside California and New York. Favorable weather, low costs, looser labor laws, and tax incentives all attracted filmmakers to the Lone Star State. There are also a wide variety of locations, including ranches and farming communities, traditional town squares, and modern urban areas like Dallas, Houston, and Austin. Texas even has ruins and Spanish colonial architecture. Parts of Texas could stand in for cities and towns in other parts of the country. Downtown Lockhart stood in for the fictional Blaine, Missouri in Waiting for Guthman. In the case of sci-fi films like Logan's Run and Robocop, downtown Dallas could represent a future metropolis. Today we're going to talk about a few films that are Texan through and through. Perhaps the quintessential film about life in Texas is The Last Picture Show, which is based on a novel by Texas author Larry McMurtry. It's a fictionalized story of his life during the 1950s in his hometown in Archer City, Texas. Archer City is a small ranching town northwest of Dallas. The Last Picture Show was McMurtry's third novel, and the film was directed by critic and screenwriter Peter Bogdanovich in 1971. It was filmed in stark black and white in and around Archer City, and the movie magnificently captures life in a small town Texas in the 1950s. 
It was also a launching point for the careers of several great actors, including Jeff Bridges, Sybil Shepard, and Randy Quaid. Veteran cowboy actor Ben Johnson won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor in his role as the owner of the local pool hall and movie theater, while Cloris Leachman won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress as the sad and frustrated wife of the town's football coach. Now, I lived about 20 miles from Archer City in the early 80s. Even though the movie was set 30 years before I lived there and it was filmed a decade before, when I finally saw this movie when I was older, because it's not a movie for kids at all, I recognized landmarks, <laughs> buildings, and roads from my childhood. There's like a diner that we used to drive by every single day that's not far from there, and there's a big scene in the movie in that. Um, it's really the first movie that truly captured what life was like in rural Texas, and in some ways that's still true. It's really the one that cracked the door on actually using Texas as a great filming location as a, and as a as a source for great stories. As opposed to just a place to make westerns and Air Force epics. Yeah, or, or just to set stories, but not actually film there. Yeah. A couple of years later, another small movie set Texas firmly in the minds of filmgoers. Austin native Toby Hooper operated on a shoestring budget and filmed in the Austin area with no-name actors. He created one of the most terrifying and effective horror movies of all time, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This slasher film told the story of college kids getting caught by a clan of backwoods cannibals and falsely claimed to be based on true events. This shady advertising was as instrumental in the film's popularity as its iconic monster, Leatherface. More than 40 years later, this film continues to terrify people. It's also gained urban legend status all over Texas, as many towns have decrepit houses out in the woods where that really happened. Right. I mentioned in the Halloween episode uh, last year that when I was in junior high, there was a mental hospital nearby, and the kids in the, t- in the town said that was where they kept the, the real Leatherface. So... It, it did make its way into the, the urban legend. I just like the idea of based on a true story, but it's not at all. Right. Yeah. Which I found out recently the Fargo by the Coen brothers is not based on, it's not based story. on a true story. And when I believe it was Bushimi or one of the actors said, you know, can I see the case file? Cause I'd really like to study it. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, no, it's made up. And it's, but it says based on a true story. And they go, yeah, that's part of the movie. <laughs> Well, in, in Texas Chainsaw Massacre is based on a true story in the sense that it's inspired. There are chainsaws well, in no, Texas. Yes, yes. No, it's inspired by the, the same story that inspired the movie Psycho, the Ed Gein character in, in wow. Wisconsin. But it's not, these are true events. The, the actual tagline of the movie is like, this is based on uh, the, the tragic events that happened to these specific people. In ta- like, it's, it's pretty elaborate hoax. <laughs> yeah, but I think it, you're right, though, that it, Growing up, you would always hear people talk about, yeah. you're like, oh, yeah, that was this small town out in Texas where this right. happened and blah, blah, blah. It yeah. happened here. And, and it's it's just a it's a great movie. It's really eerie. And it's a beautifully shot movie other than the absolutely bonkers crazy stuff that goes on for <laughs> certain parts of the movie. Well, let's save this magic for this Halloween. Yeah. I'll see you in October. <laughs> Texas wide open spaces and endless roads were also the scene of a couple of excellent 1970s chase movies. Sam Peckinpah's The Getaway from 1972 is about an ex-con played by Steve McQueen who gets roped into a bank robbery scheme by a crooked oil man played by Ben Johnson. Again, Ben Johnson. McQueen takes off with the money and leads everyone on a cross-state chase. It's a bleak, bloody movie full of double crosses and low-down crooks, a typical Peckinpah film. But McQueen is as cool as a cucumber, and Slim Pickens has a great bit part at the end. Two years later... 
a young director named Steven Spielberg, never heard of him, made a chase movie with a similar plot, but a very different tone called The Sugarland Express. It was set in Sugarland, not far from Houston, and it's the story of another convict played by William Atherton. Uh, think of Peck from Ghostbusters and the slimy professor from Real Genius. And the guy that uh, Bruce Willis punches out, the reporter that he punches out in oh, uh, Die Hard. Die Hard. Yeah. yeah. No, no, he doesn't punch out the reporter. Oh, his wife does. His wife does. Bo- yeah, his wife punches him out. Bonnie Bedelia, people. Yeah, Bonnie Bedelia. Okay. All right. Hey, Bonnie Bedelia, you want to come on the show and talk about uh, punching, punching out Will- Atherton. William Atherton? Give us a call. <laughs> Anyway, William, uh, anyway Atherton. William Atherton's in the movie. He gets busted out of jail by his wife to keep their baby out of foster care. The convict and his wife, played by Goldie Hawn, kidnap a hapless sheriff's deputy along the way and use him as a hostage. They're chased across the state by Ben Johnson's gruff but sympathetic Texas Ranger captain. Ben Johnson. Again, Ben Johnson. He's in every great Texas movie. Uh, we should do the Ben Johnson podcast. Uh, he's from Oklahoma. We're not going to hold that against okay. him. He made great movies. The movie plays a little loose with Texas geography since Wheelock, their destination, is only about two hours from Sugarland, and it takes them days of driving to get there. Yeah, they go through Beaumont, which is yeah. in the opposite direction. <laughs> Despite the mangling of the map, it's a moving, funny, and sad movie, albeit a little slow in parts, that made a name for Spielberg and set the stage for future triumphs involving sharks, alien light shows, and globe-trotting archaeologists. Now, before we move on, since we're kind of sharing our little yeah. touchpoint stories, The Sugarland Express is a funny movie because... They filmed a lot of it in South Texas, mm-hmm. and there's a scene they filmed. They hired my dad's band uh, to play. So there's a scene in the movie when they come through town. It's a street festival. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you can see a band playing at the end of the street. Now, dad tells the story. Of, you know, they film. We were there for like three days, and they filmed all this footage, and all this crazy stuff was happening. None of it's in the movie. So somewhere, <laughs> like, you can say, as you can see, like, one second flash of of drummer Del Cherry's head, like you can yeah, see the yeah. drummer's head for one second, and you can sort of hear the band. But what's interesting is, is like the, he talked about they were on the set. Nobody knew who Steven Spielberg was, yeah. but Goldie Hawn was there. Oh, yeah. She was yeah. big deal, but she was in her trailer. She was very like kind of removed, and they didn't see much of her. But he said Ben Johnson again. Ben Johnson said, met Ben Johnson. Said he was absolute gentleman, just a great guy. Like they just couldn't say enough nice things about him. Um, there's a funny scene in the movie that's a real event, though. When they're driving out of the town, they become these folk heroes right. to everybody. Yeah. So everybody's like kind of throwing a parade for them. And it's a, a comical cavalcade of police cars behind them. It's like the Blues Brothers, right. almost. That many number of cars. Right. But uh, one of the local townspeople like gives Goldie Hawn a pig, <laughs> or a small piglet, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and the pig like a- pees on her. <laughs> Apparently, it really happened like that was a real event like should they hand her the pig and then the pig just peed all over and she's like this pig peed on me and like they said right after that she left the car she left set and like nobody saw her again (laughs) so you know this is what happens when you bring hollywood to texas okay but yeah, that that I'll have Sugarland Expresses. You know, maybe maybe you maybe need to reach out to Steven Spielberg and say, hey, look, we need that footage of the customs. Yeah, he's, uh, he's not that busy. Wasn't that your dad's band? Yeah, it was the Customs, yeah, with a K. We need that footage with the Customs from Sugarland Express, from your archives. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. he's not very busy. No, right yeah. Hey, Stephen, I know you're, you don't miss an episode about Texas yes. history. <laughs> so give us a call. It, it, it's definitely an early Steven Spielberg movie. It's got that soft focus, and it's, but it's a beautiful movie. Just just totally wrong in geography. Totally bonkers with geography. Yeah. All right. So there are other movies that came out in the 70s and 80s that were set in and about Texas. 
But it was the 1990s that really saw a boom of Texas-focused films by independent and iconoclastic filmmakers. These filmmakers came from Texas, and their their stories were about Texas. They were of Texas, of you might Texas, say. Yes. Now, the first of these we're going to talk about is Houston native and Austin resident Richard Linkletter. In 1991, his film Slacker was released, and it shows the day in the life of a loosely connected group of outcasts and misfit teen Austinites. Um, it's shot entirely on a handheld camera on the streets of Austin. There's no real plot, and most of the dialogue's improvised, but it was a really pretty big critical success, on, you know, like on the Sundance circuit and the independent film circuit. Um, Slacker also has probably done more to codify the Keep Austin Weird movement than just about anything else in popular culture. It's just a camera following a bunch of people randomly around, going oh, from one a, person to the next. It's totally yeah. random film. You, you, yeah. feel, you feel oddly, I remember the first time I saw it, I felt oddly like... Um, Voyeuristic, voyeuristic yeah, is the yeah, word I was saying. Yeah, yeah, like you're watching, like you're you're seeing we like your weird neighbor and you're peeking yeah, in and his window. There's some scenes where there's nothing happening. It's literally somebody walking across yeah. the street and then hands off to the next person. There's some famous scenes. The one character who's uh she's kind of an indie rock star actually, but she is selling Madonna's pap smear, and that's that's a famous yeah. scene. There's another famous scene where this guy is walking around Austin with this kid who tried to rob him, explaining the glories of the Spanish Civil War and communism and the greatest day in Texas history, which was Charles Whitman shooting people from the town. Yeah, if you yeah, want to I, know like what, what Austin was like, nineteen eighty nine, like watch the movie. Yeah. yeah, well, and it, but it's not just an Austin thing because, like yeah. you were saying, it it's kind of just the voyeuristic feel of things. It kind of reminds me of those times when I would tag along with a friend to somebody's house that I didn't right. know, like one of their yeah. friends, and you go and you hang out at their house, and all of a sudden there's this weird stuff going on, and you're like. Well, how did I get here? Yeah, exactly. And what's wrong with these other people? Yeah. The next project, um, this movie actually helped Linklater move on to his next project, which was a little bit, bit bigger budget film. Um, and it's set in Austin and it's called, some of you may have heard of it, it's called Dazed and Confused. All right, all right, <laughs> yeah. all right. Now it was released in 93 and this comedy was set in the 1970s in a football crazed Texas suburb. Um, it's not, Stated that it's Austin, but they go to the Austin Moon Towers, so yeah. it kind of it pretty much is Austin. Um, it's the last day of school that year, and the seniors are set out to haze the freshmen, and they generally cruise around and they raise heck and get drunk and have a big party. And um, it, it's more it's also a kind of a slice of life movie, but it does have more of a, a linear plot than Slacker did. Um, and it had a real small budget, but if you made this movie today, you actually wouldn't be able to make it because the cast, as well as the classic rock soundtrack now this movie launched the career of a number of young actors including jason london joey lauren adams parker posey um someone named renee zellweger ben affleck and yeah right and the third oscar winner of this group matthew mcconaughey made his film debut and it was his breakout role as uh wooderson who is the perpetual uh, he's the older guy who graduated from high school, but still hangs around with all I his high school guy. friends. Exactly. When I saw that movie, I was like, I know that guy. Yeah, yeah I knew a few. Yeah. I knew, that was what's great about this movie is I've known, I mean, we all knew people that were exactly like yeah, this. Yeah, I mean, it's the specific events or nothing that I experienced, like the whole hazing right. thing and all of that. That's not something that I experienced, but like just the general feel and the attitude yeah. of that movie is like, you know, that is... Texas, even even though it's set in the yes. 70s, we grew up in the 80s and we were in high school in the 90s, it 
it's, it's timeless it, for it, a movie it, that's set in a time. It feels very familiar. Yeah, for for a period piece, it's very timeless. But it's interesting though. Um, I do know that at least one of our friends uh, did ex- did they did have all of that hazing yeah. junk that happened in that movie. It's like, oh, it was way worse in my high school, and we totally did that, and it was no big deal, and the whole town knew about it, and everybody just accepted it. So in small towns. Out, it still sort of happens. Well, and I grew up with school teachers and football coaches, and football coaches in that movie are exactly like they are today, <laughs> and exactly like they were when I was in high school. Anyway, Richard Linklater, he uh, continues to live in Austin, and he produces films uh, through his local production company, Detour Films, which was which was shot and filmed in Texas. He's had some successes of movies that are not set in Texas. The Before Sunrise series uh, was pretty pretty successful, and uh, he, re- he made a great movie called uh, The Newton Boys about some bank robbers in Texas. It was filmed in uh, Bartlett and the Austin area. But uh, yeah, Linkletter is, is definitely, he doesn't ever want to work or live outside of Texas for very long. So, Well, we'd love to have you on the show. Yeah, Richard. And you can invite any of your friends from your star-studded cast if they want to come and show up too. Yeah. <clears throat> Another Texas native who hit the indie film scene in the 1990s was Houston native Wes Anderson. His first film, Bottle Rocket, in 1996, starred his friends from the University of Texas, Owen and Luke Wilson, Scott's favorites. Largely set in and around Dallas, it's quirky, it's weird, and it made stars of both the Wilson brothers. Anderson's next movie, co-written by Owen Wilson, was called Rushmore. It's a comedy about an overachieving wannabe prodigy at a fictional Houston boarding school and was based on Anderson and Wilson's own experiences. An homage to the cinema and music of the British Invasion, it stars Jason Schwartzman and has a career-redefining performance by Bill Murray. God bless Bill Murray. It was a big success, and it led to continued collaborations between Anderson, the Wilsons, and Murray, though none have been set in Texas. Uh, Today, Anderson is considered one of the great auteurs of film, and his releases are always events. And, uh, you know... I just, I got to, we got to stop right here and talk about like, bottle, first let's talk about Bottle Rocket. Yeah. Like yeah. that movie's yeah. cray crazy. It, it, well, and it, Owen Wilson has this amazing frantic manic performance that really, yeah. it really yeah. did make him a star. Yeah. We're the and Lawn he, Wranglers. Yeah. With lawn, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it, no, and it, the Lawn Rangers. That's it. Yeah. We're the Lawn Rangers. And his famous nose. Yeah, his nose. But, uh, and actually we had a, uh, a your, one of your roommates in college, his girlfriend at the time is in that she is in, in a bit scene. Oh yeah. Uh, Jenny yeah. Tooley and she's a local actress. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, she was in that movie briefly. Yeah. And there's something about Owen Wilson that, I mean, he's obviously gone on to a long career, but anything he's in, Hey man, I've just, I'm doing what I do. I do my things. <laughs> but I mean, he's, he strikes me as he's very Texan, you yeah. know, and his mannerisms, it's, it's hard to really quantify it, but I played a cowboy with Jackie Chan. It was, it was a great movie. <laughs> Well, and then Rushmore. We oh, all man. saw that Rushmore together, is, I think, at the Rushmore theater. was like mind-bending. It was like, well, Bill Murray yeah. just is, I mean, he's everything in that. He's everything in that movie. And he's like the good luck charm for, for any Wes Anderson film. Like, if it's got Wes Anderson and it has like Bill but Murray. But the great thing I mean, about Wes Anderson is he's gotten these amazing performances out of this, uh, uh, an ever-growing ensemble cast yes uh, of a repertory cast really because he uses the same people over and over but his visual style has evolved and and even even from rushmore it was really strong but it's continued to evolve and change and that's really what's made him kind of a a darling of the critical world but there's substance there too 
last thing about Anderson, and because well, we we not, all we all paid, not, yeah, we all went and saw uh, Royal Tenenbaums ten years after the movie was made a couple of weeks ago at the Alamo Draft House on was, a Tuesday it was, together. It's brilliant, yeah. and and I guess I'm going to say this about Anderson. I mean, and for you listeners out there, should know is that all three of us are big film nerds. I mean, huge film nerds, we're yeah. huge film nerds. Um, to nerd out about it, you know, the thing that I love about Anderson is that. He is so stylistically recognizable. We talked a few weeks ago about Willie Nelson, and you know Willie Nelson plays one note on that guitar, and you know it's Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson sings that first note of his song, you know it's Willie Nelson. A Wes Anderson film starts, and you know you're watching a Wes Anderson right. film. And I love the fact that he makes films that are built in frameworks of things that aren't. So right. when we first saw, when we first saw uh, Life Aquatic, Life Aquatic. Well, not even Life Aquatic. Life Aquatic was. Genius, and I, we were the only four people laughing in the whole theater. Yeah. The, our group that went, but I just like the fact that Rushmore is a play. Yes, it's a movie that is set in the framework of a play, and Rushmore is a, mo- uh, is a movie that is Royal Tenenbaums is a movie that is set in the framework of a book, and it's just I love. He, I just, we just love him, and we think you know he's he's quirky and weird, and he's totally Texan, and we salute him. Yeah, he he is a modern auteur. One more Texas native emerged from the early 90s indie boom to become a major filmmaker and is still based out of Texas. San Antonio native and UT film student Robert Rodriguez shot his debut feature El Mariachi in Mexico border towns for around $7,000. It was picked up by Columbia Pictures and made Rodriguez a star. He went on to become friends with Quentin Tarantino and they collaborated on the big budget sequel to Mariachi, Desperado, as well as From Dusk Till Dawn. They also share a love for the Grindhouse era of filmmaking from the 1970s and made the double feature Planet Terror and Death Proof. Many of Rodriguez's movies are filmed in South Texas and along the border, including the 1998 sci-fi horror film The Faculty, which was actually largely shot in Austin, and the family action Spy Kids series. Rodriguez and his friend Richard Linklater are both major supporters of Texas filmmaking, including the Austin Film Festival and the South by Southwest Film Festival. Rodriguez runs his own production studio, Troublemaker Studios, and recently launched the El Rey Cable Network, which targets Latino audiences and specializes in grindhouse-style content. See, I disagree. The El Rey Network targets people who are into awesome things. Yeah. That well, network is awesome. That's, that's the way it's sold, though, is for... I, the I get it. It's, I, a, it's a partnership with Univision. I so. understand, but like, I, it's like, I get it, and that is a piece, but I'll tell you, yeah. right now, Robert... Keep up the good work because I watch. I love. It's like, man, I'm looking for like a weird '60s kung fu movie. Yeah, <laughs> like 9:30 on Saturday night. I'm boom. I'm in L. Ray. I'm very disappointed that FiOS does not carry that because uh, I don't get it. And then the AT and T Uverse does, right? Yes, it does. Okay. And the Dust <laughs> Till Dawn. Uh, they've done a Dust Till Dawn series remake of the movie, yeah. and it's yeah. actually quite good. Yeah, I, I've heard good things about it. So, uh, but let's, well, let's, you know, we're stopping and talking about these guys. I mean, you know, again, we're film nerds. So when we were in college and we saw what this guy did, you know, we watched El Mariachi. I'd say El Mariachi was the first, the videotape of El Mariachi was the first director's commentary that I ever watched. It was one of those two video, two VHS cassette. Sets. One of them had the regular version. Right, one of them had, and, and then the you other had, one, to, you had to put in, in the other second tape, tape for the commentary. And I remember we watched that. We sat there in the apartment and watched that, and we're just like, wow. Wow, this we is We can make a movie like we that. We have to do this. <laughs> yeah, he, he didn't have a dolly. He had a wheelchair. Right, yeah. 
well, we, maybe we're not making a movie, but we're making a podcast every week, which is almost, this is almost as good as well, the movie. Yeah. I mean, it, but it, do it, it yourself. Yeah, it's, and it's just that whole, yeah, the Texan spirit. Well, he, you he do it uh, on your own. Can do attitude. He, he signed up for uh, uh, drug testing yeah. studies to raise the money. Yeah, I mean, it's just that whole idea, that whole creative spirit. It's like, you know what? I want to make a movie. I don't have millions of dollars, but I can scrape together just what I need, and I can beg friends to be in my movie, and I can just shoot exactly what I want to shoot. I don't have to have all this extra footage. I'm just going to do it my way. And he still does that. Mm-hmm. And let's and let's not forget, he's done Sin City, too. Yeah, you know, That's City. the thing. Let's talk about and... Sin City and Sin City 2 that's coming. You know, uh, and but those, he, he largely filmed those in Austin, but in a blue screen. They're filmed in Austin. They're blue and green screen and all that stuff. But I just guess I'm making the point is that he's versatile. Like right. that. You know, just as you would be like, well, Wes Anderson is narrow and quirky and everything is a very visual style. Mm-hmm. You have just as much visual style and panache, but instead like of building sort of this very altruistic thing, he's built a very broad and commercial platform. Right. And, and this is a person who made, you know, some of the bloodiest movies ever, the yes. best till dawn, but he also... The Spy Kids movies are really good family yeah, films. Well, he makes Spy family Kids, you, you look made, at Spy Kids, and it's like it's full of all these visual effects and all of this right. stuff. It looks like a really big budget movie. He, he, when he made that movie, the first one, he's like, you know what? I don't can't afford to ship everything out to California to get all the effects done. I'm just going to hire some guys and set up some computers in my garage and learn we'll just do it here. And he learned it himself. Yeah. He did yeah. a lot of himself. So, and and I think that's you know, that's but Texas but I spirit. I just love the Texas can do attitude he has, mm-hmm. and I love the fact that it's like. He sees a he's the kind of person, and we talk about a lot of people these East of Texas history and culture. He's a guy who sees a problem and he develops a solution to it. You know, he saw the problem. He's like, I need to have effects, but I need to have on a budget. I'm going to figure out how this works and do it myself. So, okay. anyway, we love him. Now, of course, Texas movies haven't always focused on the idiosyncrasies of small town life. Texas is very well known for its sports movies. The 70s saw North Dallas 40, a thinly fictionalized look at the wildlife of the Dallas Cowboys at the time. 1990s Necessary Roughness turned the SMU cheating scandal into a come-from-behind comedy. Uh, It was filmed at the University of North Texas and featured Scott Bakula, Sinbad, Jason Bateman, Robert Loggia, and the future furniture mogul Kathy Ireland as a place kicker. (laughs) Probably the best depiction of the character of Texas football was Peter Berg's Friday Night Lights, which was based on a famous nonfiction book about the Odessa and Permian High School football team. This was later made into a fantastic TV show that ran for five seasons. While elements of both the film and the show were played up for dramatic purposes, they are fictionalized after all, uh, they do really hit close to home for, you know, concerning the whole football culture in Texas. Right. Football. <laughs> the movie Friday Night Lights is a really outstanding movie. Well, let's not. I mean, let's just not gloss over. Yeah, not to Nick be, Nolte and yeah, no. North Friday, Dallas Forty. Friday Night Lights, not to be confused with Varsity Blues, as right, which is a terrible been known to happen. Movie. Now, I, I would, I would say, if you go out and look uh, and Google any internet movie sports list, though, like you will see um, North Dallas Forty yeah. and Slapstick, like are like probably the top two like all time sports. But films. you have to admit, the better part of North Dallas Forty is Mac David. <laughs> True. Mac Davis is awesome. True, Mac Davis is awesome. That's just a good. But so, so point being is that like, hey, there was a lot of things in the seventies that were crappy kids. Okay, I get that, and a lot of things in the nineties, pretty crappy too. But North Dallas Forty, 
It's a great 70s thing. It's now, not like bell bottoms or like weird disco pants. Now, a quick little story about North Dell about necessary roughness. Some of our friends Yay. from college went to UNT in high school because they have a high school program, uh, a high academic program. They said they used to go out to <laughs> they used to go out to the football field when they were filming Necessary Roughness in the mornings and Kathy Ireland would be out there practicing kicking and there would be just the throng of guys just sitting there staring at her <laughs> kicking footballs, which I don't blame them. So she was, it was the nineties guys. Yeah. It was a different time. No one would have thought though. She'd be like a multi-billionaire furniture mogul at the yeah. time. Yeah. Another thing that Texas loves is it's country music. There've been a number of great Texas movies about country music. Tender Mercies and Crazy Heart were both made over two decades apart. They're both about burned-out alcoholic country music stars who are trying to find redemption and recovery in the back roads of Texas, and both won their stars, Robert Duvall and Jeff Bridges, Oscars for Best Actor. Pure Country from 1992 is about a hot country star with George Strait in his only acting role. Strait's Dusty Wyatt character takes off to the Texas Hill Country to get back to basics and find his real music. Uh, maybe it's not quite as good as the other two movies, but George Strait isn't bad. Yeah, I watched that years ago. It was a pretty good movie. Um, interesting story is there's a couple of my dad's cousins that were huge George Strait fans, and the story I heard is they pretty much started the George Strait fan club years ago. And when they filmed this movie, they actually went to, I guess there's a scene in Las Vegas where he's playing a show in Las Vegas, like when he's starring his comeback or yeah. whatever. And after he's found his real, yeah, real after country he's found music. his real country music. And uh, there's a scene where they're, you know, it's like when a, like a dinner theater type place where there's tables around the stage and stuff, and you can see them sitting in the front row. So that's pretty cool. A quick aside about George Strait. Uh, I lived for two years in Pearsall, Texas, which is the birthplace of George Strait. And uh, who just recently retired, by the way. Just recently retired. I'm making air quotes. So I went to school with some of the kids I went to school with, went to school with George when he was there. And his parents were teachers who had just retired when we moved there. So there was a whole lot of like people who knew George Strait and had related to them. And there was lots of interesting stories just about the man and his life. Now, this was in the mid to late 80s so we hadn't he was still he was hot he was, he was peaking he was rising uh he hadn't he didn't he was about to make the movie in a few years from now but uh you know just a great you heard just all these great stories about him and for uh, the longest time i don't know if he still holds it but he held the record for the largest buck killed in uh, frio county it's <laughs> impressive probably does um yeah. <laughs> Uh, the other thing about Pure Country that I like is that it is the last film performance of legendary cowboy actor Rory Calhoun. Oh, in fact, mm. yeah. he plays the old crusty uh, ranch manager who who uh, George Strait falls in love with his daughter. Oh, um, there's another movie we're missing here, uh, which we've neglected, uh, but it is Honeysuckle Rose, of course, by Willie Nelson and. Pretty much, we haven't really talked much about no, Willie we, Nelson, but we've talked plenty about him in others. He gets two episodes. Right. He just had two episodes. <laughs> we can do a third, though, coming up soon, I think. <laughs> the movies of Willie Nelson. The movies, the movies of, of Willie Nelson. Nelson. <laughs> yeah. Two hours on, on Redheaded Stranger. Uh, speaking of Oscars, there are three Best Picture winners that were filmed and set in Texas. Uh, the first one is Wings, which we've mentioned before, and it was the first winner of the very first Oscar in 1928. It was set in the First World War, and it was filmed entirely in San Antonio in the 1920s. Terms of Endearment, another movie based on a Larry McMurtry novel, won in 1983. 
It's a tearjerker comedy about the contentious but loving relationship between an overbearing Houston socialite and her daughter, and it netted Oscars for Shirley MacLaine, Jack Nicholson, and director James L. Brooks. Jack steals the show as an alcoholic retired astronaut neighbor of McLean's who somehow winds up in a relationship with her despite their mutual loathing. Yeah, and there's the scene in that movie where they're driving in a Corvette down the beach, if I remember correctly. Uh, That was shot on the beach at the Texas City Dyke. Right. Oh, yeah. Neat. Well, and a friend of mine from a couple years ago, Shane Serwin, he was a child actor at the time, and he played uh, one of the children in the movie. Oh, very impressive. Yeah, he said he still gets uh, residuals for that every time it shows up on TBS. No Country for Old Men won Best Picture Oscar in 2007. The movie is based on a novel by Cormac McCarthy and directed by the Coen brothers. They won Oscars for directing and writing, and uh, the actor Javier Bardem uh, won for his chilling performance as Anton Chigurh, the cold-blooded hitman hunting for a briefcase full of drug money. Uh, the film also features Tommy Lee Jones, Josh Brolin, and Woody Harrelson. The movie is set in West Texas along the Rio Grande. You like the movie, friendo? <laughs> Houston and its nightlife also gets the film treatment in two underrated dramas. Urban Cowboy from 1980 was another star vehicle for John Travolta. And while some critics say it's just Saturday Night Fever set in Texas, there's a lot more to the movie than people get, give it credit for. Also, Barry Corbin. It also features the legendary Gillies nightclub during its heyday and really pushed country music into the mainstream. Everybody has that soundtrack. Yeah, I'm sure there were many people that had never heard of a mechanical bull until they saw that movie. And then there's another group of people that are sick of hearing mechanical bulls (laughs) after that movie. Now, another film set and filmed in Texas was the crime drama Rush from 1991. Jason Patrick and Jennifer Jason Lee play cops who go deep undercover to infiltrate the Houston narcotics scene and get in way over their heads. Rockstar Greg Allman plays a truly terrifying drug dealer, and the movie is based on a true case from Tyler, Texas. Yeah, it's a really underrated film. You should check that one out. Um, and Sam Elliott plays their police sergeant. Oh, uh, And good. his mustache as well, isn't it? So it's funny, so I have two connections to these movies. Uh, It's funny they're grouped together here. So Urban Cowboy, when they were scouting the locations, the customs you talked about earlier, my dad's band, uh, they were played a lot of the South Texas scene. So they were scouting for locations in Texas. And one of the places that was in the running was Randy's Rodeo, which was a large dance hall uh, in San Antonio. And dad's band was the house band. You'd catch them every week there. They played all the time. And then they'd back big acts that came through. So just as in Gillies, they had the house band from Gillies played a couple of songs. If they'd have picked that as the location and set the film in San Antonio mm-hmm. instead of Houston, they'd have been the house band and been in the movie. So close. So close, but so far. And then Rush is interesting because Rush was filmed uh, not far from when we lived in Rosenberg. And I remember when all of that was going on, there was all this buzz of, oh, there was a scene that was filmed near here. And I remember going to see him being terribly disappointed because it's 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 such a depressing movie it's i was so like horrible. oh i thought this was gonna be like yeah. oh but this oh, is look, just there's my hometown or this, uh, this is town where i live it is not an action film it is a yeah. gritty crime crime drama um now of course there are great westerns that were either set in or filmed in texas and they included the searchers lonesome dove red river rio grande rio bravo old yeller and the outlaw josie wales Um, There are some other interesting films we could talk about, which were filmed in Texas. Uh, Cloak and Dagger, which stars Dabney Coleman. 
and uh, young Henry Thomas, yeah, who young. is a native of San Antonio. Yes, Thank you very much. San Antonio. Um, it's a spy film. It's set in San Antonio during the Cold War. Office Space satirizes cubicle farm life in North Dallas in the 1990s and is mandatory quote material for any pointless business meeting or conference call that you're ever on. Yeah, I'm going to have to have you come in on my Saturday. Stapler, my stapler, yeah. my stapler. Here's TPS the thing. forms. We lived that. Yes. That yeah. was our lives and in some ways if still is If you worked in lives. a cubicle farm, that movie was your life. <laughs> um the let's see the next one would be maybe another one would be brian de palma's the phantom of the paradise and it sets the phantom of the opera story as a rock opera in dallas's majestic theater it's a weird one robert altman's brewster mcleod is another really weird one a little bit weirder even it's a little film about an autistic boy who lives in a fallout shelter inside the astrodome and is building a set of wings that will let him fly. And he's played by Bud Court. They'll let people make movies out anything these yeah, days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was, that, those two were in the 70s, obviously. Um, and then another one, and maybe not the best movie, but um, it's a notable Take one. Take that back. <laughs> uh, the Legend of Billie Jean, which was from 1985. Yeah. And it is set in Corpus Christi. And it stars Helen Slater, who most people remember played Supergirl in the terrible Supergirl movie. Um, she's a teen who gets pushed too far, and she and her brother, a very young Christian Slater, they become outlaw heroes standing up against bullying and corruption. This movie is awesome. Legend of Billie Jean is the movie that always came on HBO that I would change the station when it came on. Okay, first thing, I was living in Corpus Christi when this movie was made. So there are kids from my dad's high school who appear like, oh, they were in the local uh, high school drama kids, like, we're all in there yeah. at that time. And by the way, at the same time, a very young Lou Diamond Phillips was attending Flower Bluff High School right, right across the bridge in Corpus. So mm-hmm. the other cool thing about that movie is Helen Slater and Christian Slater are in the movie, and they play brother and sister. But, they're not but they are not actually brother and sister, <laughs> no. even though they have the same name, right. which is super confusing. And the other thing is the entire plot of this, like, Outlaws on the Run. Like, we could have grouped this in with the Sugarland Express right. and the Getaway because it's a very similar thing, but it's a, a very girl power, early 80s girl power movie. Yeah. And it's probably, and has a young. Um, oh, uh, Yearly Smith is Yearly it? Smith. A young Yearly Smith yeah, in it. Who, and she's fantastic. She's in boy, it. If you don't know who Yearly Smith is, she's the voice of Lisa, uh, Simpson. Uh, Lisa Simpson. She's Lisa oh, Simpson. Yeah. yeah. But the whole thing revolves around getting moped repair. Right, yeah. <laughs> Discount moped repair. And a local uh, t-shirt souvenir mogul who runs this island. Right, and, and he tries to, tries to and, you know... But there's a cool scene, it's set... Sexually the, harass Helen Slater, and then she just... She rebels and cuts her hair really short and there's a small cuts the sleeves off of a off of a wetsuit and runs around. It's it's, it's a great movie. It's, go go rent this movie. <laughs> Turn just pause this and go get that movie. I don't right usually now. recommend this, but you can watch it for free on YouTube if you want to. <laughs> it's not on any streaming service, but it's on YouTube. You're gonna you're gonna put on some Pep Benatar and you're gonna be ready to rock That's out right. and be pow- powerful. Is the big song that came it from is that, and right? that movie rocks. I don't care what Scott says over there. It, this movie. Rocks. Well, I've never seen it. I just say when I was a ch- <laughs> when you, I was you ch- you denied every opportunity to when see I was, it. when I was a child when you were a child it was not you thought like a child but now you're a man and a grown up and it's time so, to grow up so maybe I'll go home okay and go watch check it, it out YouTube. you and Scott go check it out team in addition to great Texas films there are great Texas film stars there's a dizzying array of actors who have hailed from Texas. 
These range from Oscar winners Matthew McConaughey, Tommy Lee Jones, Jamie Foxx, Sissy Spacek, and Renee Zellweger, who were all born and raised in the great state of Texas. There's the Quaid brothers, Dennis and Randy, who are from Houston, and the Wilson brothers, Owen, Luke, and Andrew, who all hail from Dallas. Now, film stars including Woody Harrelson, Michelle Rodriguez, Bill Paxton, Lou Diamond Phillips. La Bamba! Yeah, Ethan Hawke, Gary Busey, Shelley Duvall, and Patrick Swayze. Filmmakers we've mentioned, like Wes Anderson, Richard Linkletter, and Toby Hooper, and some we haven't, like Terrence Malick, animation legend Tex Avery, and of course Mike Judge, creator of Beavis and Butthead, and the writer-director of Office Space. <clears throat> there are singer-actors like Gene Autry, Chris Christopherson, Dooley Wilson, who was Sam from Casablanca, Meatloaf, Mike Nesmith from The Monkees, Kevin McHale, who is Artie from Glee, Beyonce, Selena Gomez, and of course, Willie Nelson. There's TV stars like Fess Parker, Larry Hagman, Irene Ryan, who played Granny from the Beverly Hillbillies, Felicia Rashad from The Cosby Show, Little Rascal Spanky McFarlane, Morgan Fairchild, two Charlie's Angels, Farrah Fawcett and Jacqueline Smith, Amy Acker from Angel and Dollhouse, and Alan Tudyk and Summer Glau, both from Firefly. There's even a few Star Trek stars. Brent Spiner, Michael Dorn, and Michelle Ensign Rowe Forbes all hail from Texas. There are brilliant Texas character actors like Dabney Coleman, Stephen Tobolowsky, and Peter McNichol, but there's also a staggering array of character actors who specialize in actually playing Texans. G.W. Bailey, L.Q. Jones, Joe Don Baker, Powers Booth, Barry Corbin, Frederick Forrest, Bruce McGill, Rip Torn, Chill Wills, Burton Gilliam, Noble Willingham, Barry Tubb, and many others. There are a number of major stars born in Texas but raised elsewhere. Joan Crawford, Carol Burnett, Steve Martin, Debbie Reynolds, Forrest Whitaker, and Jennifer Garner. Of course, there is one name conspicuous by its absence. Chuck Norris is a true Texan whose beard demands a podcast of its very own. Roundhouse kick. To the face! <laughs> In addition to the good movies about Texas, there are some that are maybe not so good. Uh, four for Texas is one. It's a 1963 Rat Pack Western set in Texas. Now, we love Frank and Dean. All of us do. But please, no singing outlaws. Now, the only thing to note is Charles Bronson is the bad guy. And maybe the Three Stooges showed up in the film. Yes, the Three Stooges were in a movie with Frank Sinatra and Charles Bronson. And it's about Texas. Right. It's not um, even a good Three Stooges, too. Right. It's, it's Joe, or uh, Cur Curly Joe. It's not even a good one. Uh, then there's the X-Files movie, uh, the first one, X-Files Fight the Future. Um, there is a scene set in Dallas at the beginning, but they show mountains out just outside the city. And last time I checked, there are no mountains just outside of Dallas. Anywhere near them. Well, just obviously those shots of the mountains, the long shots were shot yeah. in Vancouver yeah, sure. or LA or something. But if you're going to set Not Texas. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, <laughs> if you're going to set it in a location, you should probably do some basic research of right. what that location is like. <laughs> right. Stock footage away. North, Rob Reiner's movie is famous because Roger Ebert said in his review, I hated, hated, hated this movie. It's on this list because Dan Aykroyd and Reba McIntyre play Paul and Ma Tex, and they're full on rhinestone Texas stereotypes. It would have been nice if they'd have got some Texas actors. But yeah. I will say that there are redeeming parts to North. No. And that kid goes on to make a bunch of hobbity movies. Yeah, but the no. redeeming parts, unfortunately, are not the parts relating to Texas. And no. I like Bruce Willis because nobody squints like that guy. 
He does. They did put Bruce Willis in a bunny suit, which I'll, I'll give him credit for that. But well, it's, you, it's, you want to pick your parents. Just pick your parents you want north. It's an awful movie. It is not awful. It is it's not as awful as you remember. When's the last time you watched yeah, it? 1993. I, one, okay. of the, one of these days, I will watch that movie, and I will break the tie. Okay, well. Um, probably 1996 or who's something. Who's the guy who played Fish on Barney Miller? Oh, Abe Vigoda. Uh, Abe Vigoda okay. is in it. You get as points the, for Abe Vigoda. He's the Eskimo grandpa. <laughs> Okay, well, I'll give it a I'll give it a tick in the wind column. Um, State Fair in 1962. Now, this is a remake of the classic Rodgers and Hammerstein musical from 1945. Um, it's not so much bad as it's not as good as the original. Uh, I, I actually have seen this movie. It, it does does have a couple of good things going for it. Now, first of all, they moved the setting from Iowa to the State Fair of Texas in Dallas, so it's really neat to see the State Fair the way our parents would have seen it in the 1960s. Uh, the other thing is, while you got to suffer through Pat Boone and Bobby Darren, it does have Anne Margaret in only her second movie role right before she made Bye Bye Birdie. Is it wow. as good as the pudding scene in Tommy? <laughs> uh, she is just, she's just Anne Margaret. She's full on Anne Margaret right before Bye Bye Birdie. So it's it's worth watching just for that. Next, let's talk about I Come in Peace. Mm. I Come in Peace. Uh, this is a sci-fi movie starring Dolph Lundgren and Brian Binbin, known for the HBO TV show Dream On and the movie The Radioland Murders, as Houston policemen whose pursuit of a gang of earthly drug dealers leads them into a fight with intergalactic alien drug dealers. Um, it's kind of awful, yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, you heard that. <laughs> but um, it's got its own charm. Plus, it's set in Houston, so... Yeah. It, it's 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 a Z movie. Who would believe that these two mismatched character types could be police partners and could get along? Yeah, would they is, have so much friction between this, them? This would definitely have been a straight-to-video movie if that particular niche of the industry had really existed when this no, movie it, it first came out. No, it was definitely a straight-to-video movie when right, it came but, out. Right, but it was released in theaters. Yeah, it was. Did, it, uh, but did, it said, it, it's, actually, it's nice it's actually set in Houston. It's not like yeah. Chicago playing Houston. Yeah. Now, did did Joe Bob Brace put sure. this on the Midnight Movie? Sure. Roger Ebert actually gave it a like a one and a half stars. He said that Brian Binman is the best part so of it. So Roger movie. Ebert says you it's should better watch than North. Better Than North. <laughs> <laughs> It's better than a movie with Abe Vigoda in it. Yeah. Wow. That is saying it's, something. It's a pretty, it's a terrible movie, but it's, it's fun. Oh. It's stupid fun. What can, what more can you ask? Well, let, let's talk though about like the idea of, again, we've said it multiple times. And if you haven't figured it out this long into our like weird fanboy cast, cause this is probably yeah. the most fanboy of any <laughs> yeah. of the come and take it. We've done so far stuff yet, but Oh God, let's stay away from that. <laughs> oh God. Just. Put the comedy. You can put this it. up with your wrestling one. Here's the thing, you know, movies are such a intimate part of modern culture, and they and they represent for many people a window into worlds they don't experience. And so, as Texans, I think we're passionate about how we're portrayed in in movies, both as like the archetypal characters and then the actors that come from there. And you know, I I gotta admit, like, I saw Fool's Gold. And yet, watching Matthew McConaughey up there winning the Academy Award, yeah. you were just like blown away. Yeah. And we didn't even talk about, in terms of Texas film, about Dallas Buyers Club. I mean, Dallas is right in the title. Right. Yeah. And I have a problem with Dallas Buyers Club in that it was filmed in New Orleans. But beyond that, it's, it is a great movie. Well, to be fair, New Orleans is sort of <laughs> stuck where like yeah. Dallas was in the 80s. If you right. came there now, you'd be like, well, this is a strange yeah. This does not, Dallas today does not look like Dallas in the 80s. I think, and the reason why we, I kind of put the, the, the four movies 
the the the, the bad movies it, where they were is because uh, well at least two of them north and uh, the four uh, four for Texas is the movies that we talked about that were great movies don't play to the stereotypes of what people expect from Texas whereas right. those two movies did absolutely and so you know that's one of the things is is the character of a great movie is is like the last picture show it was a bombshell of a movie because it showed life as it really was and it showed that not everybody's a cowboy not everybody's riding a horse and all that kind of stuff because up to that point that was all everybody saw from Texas well and that's the thing about urban cowboy that is really interesting is that urban cowboy it's right in the title but people miss it they see cowboy and they hear the country music but it's about a country kid who comes to Houston to work at the refinery with mm-hmm. with his I think Barry Corbin plays his uncle and it's been a few years since I've seen it but it has to do with this idea of you know he's grappling with the idea of you know he's working as a roughneck and mm-hmm. that's a big part of Texas culture. You know, more people work in the oil and gas industry than work in agribusiness mm-hmm. on farms as actual livestock handlers. So, there, you know, and there's more of those than them. But those guys all, you know, they I, you identify as that cowboy right. ethos. Right. And, and then the 90s movies, you know, Slacker, as you said, it it's not necessarily just about Austin it is although Austin is a major character in the movie but you could set those characters in Seattle at the same time or you should you could set those characters in Portland or in New York or in San Francisco and they would largely be doing the same things and showing the same things but it's Austin has a unique character and that movie really displays it same as Days of Confused yeah and I have to say that probably my favorite Texas movies are not the ones that show as old west texas or or that kind of thing it's like you my favorite ones are the ones that show you know small town texas life days and confused um uh, i think what else there's another good one we didn't mention dancer texas dancer popular texas. Yeah. Eighty, which is yeah. about it you know these kids the only thing they do for fun is to sit out by the highway and wait for a car to come by and they just can't wait to get out of town but that's that's certainly the type of movie that that we tend to gravitate to because it shows real life in texas and that's that's what's so strong. Even the fantasies like Rushmore and Bottle Rocket, which have fantastic elements to them or unreal elements. Well, I think people watching Rushmore don't get that it's set in it's Texas. Set in Houston, yeah. People, it seems fairly, but you have to be like, oh, it's a large urban center and there's yeah. a lot of high society and there's lots of well-achieving academic right. schools that are highly competitive and you have this very oddball character but that kid would that kid exists and there's a lot mm. of those kids in houston yeah and speaking in, of kids we, we kind of touched on it we mentioned it but i don't know if it really fits into movies they did make a movie uh beavis and butthead yeah yeah when that show came out and we saw those guys and Frog baseball and i identified with them very quickly as saying you know i knew those guys when i was a kid <laughs> yeah but it wasn't till later that i realized like oh it's Mike Judge. He's from Texas, right. and you know it's like no wonder I identified with it so readily is because those are the kind of kids that you know I knew. I knew some of those. Well, guys. and I think the thing, his love letter. I think it's a, in a way it's a love letter to Texas. Yeah, is yeah it's King of the Hill. King I mean, of the Hill. Yeah, oh, yeah. which yeah. is a spinoff. You know, kind of is a sort of a loose spinoff from what Beavis and Butthead would become. And I think you know we what you what again that's TV, not movies, but. There's you talk about the portrayal of of culture in real life. The bulk of us live in suburban centers in major cities. The bulk of us live 
in Arlen, Texas. And it's probably more realistic than Dallas. Oh, was. definitely. A realistic depiction of Texas. Or than Dallas is with the new series. Or the, the new series of Dallas. Yeah, so, but I think we talked about it a little bit before with the show, is like the big idea is the 70s movies created this idea of Texas as being, A, a great place to make movies, as opposed yeah. to the studio backlots in California, but B, a great place for stories to come from. So the Larry McMurtry's and, and these other stories of using Texas as plot device, as a plot piece. Then the 90s movies were about making Texas more than just a backdrop, another backdrop. Well, yeah. and not to geek out about the history of movies. I mean, we've seen the sort of disruption of the studio system, and we saw that as more and more movie production has moved out of California, out of studios, off of the stand stage, and into places like Vancouver. And you hear mm-hmm. about things being filmed in New Orleans and things being filmed in the Carolinas and all over the place, you know, and okay, well, you know, we're going to go to to this little, you know, we're going to go to Croatia and film a movie or we're going to go wherever all of these productions are moving out because there's cost and budgetary issues. Mm-hmm. And also there's all of this natural landscape and, th- and things that can be used as parts of production. But that turned into then fostering local talent Mm -hmm. and individual talent. And now we see this Austin scene. And it's interesting, we had a conversation with um, another podcaster who's in England, and his big idea was, is he thought of Austin as this cultural refuge surrounded by just sort of cowboys, (laughs) cowboys and pickup trucks. And it was like, not really what it is. What it is, is that there's a very big, large creative force there, uh, and we didn't talk about another local auteur for a very strange movie. Guy who went to our alma mater, UTD, uh, the guy who made Primer. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Shane Carruth. Shane Carruth. And uh, and has another new movie coming out. Upstream Color came out a year. Or oh, two it did ago. come out a, a year or two ago. ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have not seen Upstream Color. I did see Primer, and uh, I'm, I'm the most ma- I'm the I've... most mathy of all the three of us. <laughs> And it's still tough to follow without a map. But it's an incredible movie. If you love time travel, it's an incredible movie. So I think, but the idea is, is, you know, it's like you said, people came to Texas for the location. It built a community of artists. And then artists here have flourished. And they've come back yeah, to Texas. Well, and I see the the explosion of the indie filmmaking and the, the creativity in the 90s, I see as a direct result of the state making a decision years earlier to encourage productions to come into the mm-hmm. state and give them the tax breaks and all of that stuff and said, you know, we're going to invite these people in, start this business, start this center of production. And then years later that paid off with these very well-known, very respected, unique filmmakers that sprang up in the nineties. And so in, you know, we talked about the last picture show being kind of the movie that kind of kicked the door open on that. But actually there was another movie that really kind of set the stage for that. And we did a whole episode on it. We did a whole episode on it, John Wayne's The Alamo in 1960. And if you remember, they were talking about filming it in 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 Arizona and California. And, and even Mexico. Mexico. Even Mexico. And the Texas business establishment and the Texas government and the daughters, the, of, the the daughters the- of the Texas Revolution all just waged a huge campaign to get the movie filmed in Texas. And they built this magnificent set, which is still used today for productions, uh, and that really, that's really kind of the, where the, where the, the establishment of Texas really got involved in the film industry, but it kind of leads us to a new story and an so, update. Right. So here's the update and the big story. The original 202 minute 70 millimeter roadshow print of the film is in terrible condition. And film experts have urged that the film's owner, who is MGM, 
needs to restore it before it is lost. MGM has said they see no need to spend the money, an estimated $1.6 million required to restore this version, since they've already restored the shorter 35mm theatrical print. Here's the problem. There's a 202-minute theatrical cut. It's 70 millimeter. It's, it's on the big, beautiful 70 millimeter format. So it's the kind of thing you'd want to take and blow up to a Blu-ray. Now, it's the highest definition possible for it's a, film, the film right. medium. The one that they've used, they've already done a digital print many years ago for the DVD, and that was on the 35 millimeter theatrical like, cut. Theatrical cut. So it's a shortcut. It's missing a whole bunch of extra footage, and you know, it's half the size of the film of the 70 millimeter print. The 70 millimeter print, we've seen pictures online of it, and it looks awful. Right. It's, now, M- it's faded it, to magenta, basically. Yeah. And MGM owns it, but they don't want to spend the money to do the restoration. Yeah. And, you know, it's not really a whole lot of money in the big scheme of things, I don't think. $1.6 million. Yeah. And so it's uh, a catering budget, right? So a couple of years ago, they identified this problem, but MGM was going through a pretty complicated bankruptcy. And uh, recently, the film preservationist, film preservationist Robert Harris, looked at it again and said it's gotten a lot worse. And so he went to MGM and said, "Can we restore this?" And they said, "Well, we don't need to. It's already been restored." And he's basically said, "Look, I'll get the funding if you just give me the permission." to make this restoration and we'll save what we can of it. They don't even know if they can save hundred percent of it. Yeah. And what's important about this particular cut of the film, other than just the, the larger format and the higher resolution is it's basically the director's cut that right. John Wayne made. It's like we said, there's extra footage in it. That's not in the theatrical cut and it's a more complete vision of what he wanted to achieve. Right. And so, uh, the, unfortunately though, MGM initially said they could do it and they would kick in some $5,000 towards the effort. Then they retracted the offer because I guess it makes them look bad since they can't afford the owners of the owners of the James Bond franchise can't afford to spend a million and a half dollars to save a movie that they think has already been yeah. preserved. And it's, it's just frustrating because, you know, as fans of both films and history, right. that something this significant is. Yeah, in it, it's studio politics and it's ruined its ugly head. So what can you do if you love Texas and you love John Wayne and you love this film and you want to see a great thing restored and be beautiful? This is a piece of history. You just can't afford to lose right. it. What, so what can you do? What can I do, Sean? What can you do? Well, you can do a couple of things. Okay, so you can actually send a tweet using hashtag Save the Alamo to at MGM underscore studios, or you can go to their Facebook page, MGM Studios, and make yourself heard. And all you got to do, do a tweet at MGM studio underscore studios, pound, save the Alamo. Now, here's something else you can do. If you know somebody of influence in yeah. Texas, if you know a Willie Nelson, if you know a Rick Perry, if you know a Wendy Davis, if you know a Greg Abbott, if you, you know, know Patrick s- Wayne, if you know Patrick Wayne, we need to get the awareness out there because the Alamo is probably the single most recognizable landmark in the United States, I would wager. Certainly within Texas. Within it Texas is, yeah. It's our number one thing in art. Which, by the way, Texas comprises 10% of the you know, continental, United, US. continental U.S. landmass. So one in 10 people live here, <laughs> if it was evenly distributed. Right. Anyway, point I'm making is the Alamo is very, it's highly recognizable. We need to save this. And this, so, is a, this, is a, this is a major film that was Oscar-nominated. It was... Not, you know, the most critically acclaimed movie, but it's still an important film. And it's the only, it's one of two films that John Wayne directed. Yeah. Get off your chairs and get busy, people.
there's a, a lot of uh, heavyweights in the film industry have also weighed in with their support, uh, including J.J. Abrams, Alfonso Cuaron, and Guillermo del Toro, uh, among others, who've they've all vo- voiced their support for the restoration of this film. Right. So and they, they recognize the significance yeah, Some bloggers have reached out. There's people that have reached out to George Lucas and um, Martin Scorsese, and, and so they're waiting to hear responses from them. So, But you as a people, the more people get in touch with MGM and say, hey, we want to see this. Okay, come, I mean, and take come on. Nation, if, it's time to get off of your chairs and get this done. Right. And if all you people can send enough nuts to a television studio to get them to put Jericho back on the air <laughs> and pitch enough of a fit to keep community going, come and on. And then Chuck. Uh, buy enough Subway sandwiches. Yeah, let's, to let's save the Alamo save people. Chuck. Can we put a Subway sandwich in John Wayne's hand? <laughs> <laughs> can we do that to save the Alamo people? If you want to be able, in 10 years, if you want to be able to watch the full highest resolution version of the Alamo on your 96 inch curved 4k television, 4k television, maybe 16 K television by, by then. Who point, knows? Yeah. Well, then do this. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's one more story that I don't know if we can fit it in anywhere, just, but just start telling. Yeah. Um, so talking about small town filmmaking, your story about your dad during the filming of Sugarland Express and stuff like that reminds me of when the John Travolta movie, Michael, where he yeah. plays the, oh, yeah. the angel that was filmed mm-hmm. in central Texas, Austin area, Austin area. And my grandmother, um, lives in that area and they shot some of this, this, I don't remember exactly where it is in the movie, but there's a scene where there's like these old little country house looking things, the yeah. white clappered buildings. Um, that's right down the road. That's right down nine, six, nine from my grandmother's house. And they actually went over there and watched them film one day. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned something about how boring it is that, you know, they shot all this footage and blah, blah, blah. It's like, they must have spent, she said they must have spent like all day, six hours, basically just filming him walking out and getting in the car or something. It's filmed, seen with John Hurt getting in the car. And it's like they just shot it over and over and over from different angles and different angles. But she got to hang out, meet John Travolta, said he was very sweet. Well, and when I was uh, right after college, in between going, when I went home and lived with my parents for a couple of months, they were filming, Linklater was filming the Newton Boys in Bartlett, which is where my parents lived. And I went downtown. They had the whole downtown blocked off. It's an old, old style downtown, small town, Texas. But anyway, they were doing a bank robbery scene where they blew up the bank. And uh, it was like, we were down there for like three hours watching them set this up for like a five second take of them blowing up the bank. But I've got to see Ethan Hawke running around and Matt McConaughey. And um, I forget who else was in that movie. Henry um, no. Skeet Ulrich is in Skeet it. Skeet Ulrich. And oh, the poor man's Johnny Depp. Yeah, the poor man's. But everybody was all the all the my brother's high school friends were like, Ethan Hawke. There's Ethan Hawke. There's Ethan Hawke. I was like, that's Matthew McConaughey. He's awesome. He was <laughs> he was Wooderson. Now, of course, at the time I was like, I see Richard Linklater right there. Anyway, yeah. it was cool. It was interesting to see. But those are just some Texas. That's fantastic. Movie memories. Put a button on it. We love Texas and we love movies and we hope you do too. So this weekend. After you've done tweeting at MGM Studios and yeah. saving the Alamo, why not pick up a great Texas film, pop some popcorn, and relax in front of the television? That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave us some feedback. Be sure to indicate whether it's okay for us to mention you on the show. You can also find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. Why not follow us individually? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I'm Scotticus. If you like the show, 
Tell your friends, subscribe, and please leave a review on iTunes. That really helps us out. We hope you'll join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas Texas wants you anyway. anyway.